You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotroncom agony. And now it's time for the lightning round. Oh, I'm like, I forgot about the lightning round. That's good. You, you got me in this trance of a nice conversation. Oh, is this a test? Yeah. No. <laughs> Jesse Klein's new book is You'll Grow Out of It. Thank you for joining me, Jesse. Oh, thank you for having me. At the beginning of this book, you talk about the idea of being a tomboy and a tom man. In what way were you a tomboy and have you grown out of being a tom man? I was a tomboy in every possible way that one can be a tomboy. Yeah, I just generally dressed and yeah, I dressed like a boy and I was like a boy in many ways. Um, uh, yeah, I was obsessed with the 86 Mets. I had a Mets uniform I wore the day after they won the World Series. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's pretty far. <laughs> yeah. I, I may have also carried a bat that day, a uh, wiffle ball bat. Uh, Do you have, still have that uniform? Oh, no. I still love the Mets. Oh. Not sure why. No. <laughs> it's very hard to let go. Uh, have I grown out of being a Tom man? No. No. I'm totally a Tom man. I, I, I'm occasionally faking, faking not being one, but no. I just want to. No. <laughs> if this is a lightning round, no. I don't know how lightning I'm supposed to be. Uh, you can go in as long as you want. So, okay. So tell me, um, in what ways do you still consider yourself a Tom man? Most of the ways. I guess I still... Well, you not... still like the Mets. Uh, <laughs> I, I, do, I do still like the Mets. I'm very loyal. I just still find this is very, very vassar grad feminist theory talk but the performing of femininity is exhausting to me i yeah. like that idea when you're performing a femininity do you imagine yourself not doing it at the same time if i didn't have to perform as a woman am i aware that i'm could kind of... i i why i would just rather just sit down and go oh my god yeah yeah i mean if you I don't know if you've, <laughs> not to get personal, I don't know if you've ever tried on a pair of Spanx, but when you have them on, or if you even know what those are. I don't. <laughs> okay, well, if you know any ladies in your life, they know what they are. Okay. You've never heard of Spanx? No. Sorry. You have no clue? No. <laughs> See, this is why I'm, like, it because it's just so much better not to know about them. <laughs> Spanx. <laughs> <laughs> you no clue. You don't know. It's an undergarment. Okay. It's not like something bad. No, okay, sure. Spanx are now, they were invented in the last decade, uh, and they are an undergarment that women will wear. You can wear it under anything, but often under a dress or a skirt, and it it sort of flattens. It t- they're tight, and it, it's kind of like a girdle, okay. but you pull them on, and they are tight, and they just suck you in, and so you look... I'm making air quotes better. <laughs> you do look better in them, but they're it's uncomfortable. Mm. And you to take them on and off is a pain. If you have to go pee, it's like you it's a wrestling match. Mm. Um so they must is, they call them Spanx for a reason. They're that, called they... Spanx. It's S P A N X. The woman who oh. invented them went on Oprah, she's like a bedillionaire now. I would imagine so. Um and uh yeah. People used to not they were not a thing, and now every woman knows what Spanx are 
for the most part. And I bring them up to say, if you're wearing Spanx, you can't ever really forget that you have them on. So yeah, performing femininity. If I'm wearing a dress, I usually have Spanx on. And I am usually, even if I'm sitting here talking to you, and I seem like this is totally normal. <laughs> In the back of my head, I'm like, I have Spanx on. I have Spanx on. I'm so uncomfortable. I have Spanx on. I wish I could take these off. I hate having Spanx on. In this book, you uh, describe the difference between what you call poodles and wolves. I think this is a theme that carries over through the book because there are many situations where I can see you all of a sudden distinguishing between the poodle and the wolf. So what do you mean by that? Poodle and wolf is kind of like a metaphor for just some women seeming to have a very easy relationship with their own femininity and some women having a more difficult relationship in terms of pulling it together to present yourself to the outside world as adhering to all of the cultural norms of like what women are supposed to look like and poodles in that matrix are the ones that find it easier and wolves are the ones that that have a tougher time i'm a wolf i wouldn't know it to to look at you but uh given that you you say that you it's not about the outcome. It's about mm. the process. The process. Okay. Yes. So, and I think, too, this kind of comes back a little bit to your perception of yourself as a Tom man as well because um, it puts you on the wolf side of the equation, <laughs> as I would, I would say. Yeah. I, yes. I am squarely, squarely in the wolf camp. Um, one of the things that, I think is is interesting is that now how concerned we are with looking our age mm-hmm. and one of the things you you write about is you say I am now less concerned about my face or as Nora Ephron warned my neck than I am about my newest problem area my hands <laughs> and this is something that's really interesting because I always thought that uh, um, when I looked at Harry Reid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yes, as I one thought, does. As one, what you back yeah, in the day before, possible not to. Before he was like uh, battered to death by by the uh, adversary. Yes, he. Yes. Lo- I was thought he looked really young, and then you saw his hands. And you go, oh no, Ooh. oh no. And so I always was worried about the Harry Reid hands. <laughs> I feel like I am in Harry Reid hands territory. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. They say that hands are always the tell. For like how old somebody really is, because uh, you know you can get a facelift, you can do Botox on your face. It's very there's not a lot you can do. I mean, this is kind of like Nora Ephron wrote about like the neck. Although I think there's probably you could do a little pulling on your skin or on your neck. I don't know. I have I have thankfully yeah maybe you could walk around <laughs> pretending to strangle yourself. Uh, I but... have a friend who puts band aids on. <laughs> really? Yeah. No. Yes. Seriously? Did you not? Band-aids all the time to yeah, pull the skin around. Yeah, yeah we we'll walk around. Is this around. a woman or a man? It's a man. He puts band-aids on yeah. to pull his neck to yeah. look tighter and younger. Yeah. yeah. Where does he hide the band-aids under his uh, under his shirt? shirt? Kind of, yeah. Or sometimes does it he work? doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't even hide them. He just puts. Oh, well, that <laughs> seems like that's that's you're working against yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, because then that's that seems like very crazy to me. Uh, yeah, my hand. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of give up. <laughs> I think. Um, your relationship with clothes. We hear about your relationship with lingerie. We hear about your relationship with your wedding dress. I, I think that's 
the fact that you could uh, even dedicate two chapters in a book <laughs> to those kind of relationships tells us a lot, tells men a lot about the way women think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because you're not going to, there's no man's biography who's going to spend uh, two chapters talking about his relationship with his pants or his shoes. <laughs> well, I think there are, there are some men uh, who do love clothes, but, um, and could write chapters and chapters about it. Maybe this is telling me more about me than me. And Well, you're wearing <laughs> yeah. a perfectly a, a waffle knit sweater of some kind. Yeah. Um, uh, it seems very comfortable. I look comfortable. I'm very uncomfortable. I mean, but you knew this, right? I mean, you, like, guys, yeah, men get to wear a uniform. Mm-hmm. Men have a uniform. And women, I think, can find a uniform. It's a less prescribed you know, men go to work and you wear, let's say, it's a suit for some men or it's a, your uniform is like, you know, I wear a sweater and jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, and women, uh, we have to kind of figure out. I mean, well, clothes an, can be fun. There's an emotional story. There's an emotional there's a story, story arc, arc. To your clothes. Yeah. And again, I think men dress very much, there is kind of a, a dynamic between what men are expecting in terms of scrutiny, mm-hmm. um, which is nothing. <laughs> men are able to be, it's kind of an understanding that your clothes, you can kind of, your clothes can kind of be invisible. No mm-hmm. one's looking to your clothes for a story, really, mm-hmm. um, to some degree, but the stories are limited. You're right. either the jeans sweater guy or you're a suit guy or maybe you're a dandy guy. Mm-hmm. But those are just three stories. Right. And with women, there's like every – because people are looking at you under a microscope all the time. I mean, just look at Hillary. Mm-hmm. She's – why do we have to talk about – no one's talking about anyone, any male candidate's clothes when a woman is in any kind of elected political office, her clothes are always a story. Um, and that's, you know, that's just one example. But I feel like, yeah, every woman has to figure out, oh, God, like, what what story do I have? Am I going to have projected onto me today? What story am I going to try to project to counteract that story? Sometimes it's fun. Clothes can be great. But I think it's the relentlessness <laughs> Of choice that gets exhausting. I think one of the things about comedy is that, especially stand-up comedy, is that you get to externalize that your inner narrator, and in doing so, um, you get to use language and say things about yourself and about other things that might not ever get wise get heard or aired. Yeah, and I think we all have that same inner narrator, but we pretty much it stops inside and you get to to take it outside yeah i mean stand-up is ultimately um it's kind of it's this art form that is wonderfully kind of both a, a monologue and a dialogue you are basically performing a monologue uh you're one person saying a stream of words but you're in front of a live audience who uh, as differentiated from like a, a play or a drama where everyone just sits there silently because you're trying to elicit laughter and because you're trying to say things that kind of force people to have this weird physical reaction called laughing. 
there is a constant feedback loop to this monologue. Stand-up is amazing. That's interesting. It's a dialogue in which one uh, party is pretty much either entirely silent other than laughter. Yeah. I never thought about comedy that way. I'm just here to explode minds. (laughs) (laughs) Mission accomplished. Yeah, well, you gave me the theory of mind thing, so I felt like I had to try and say one interesting (laughs) cognitive (laughs) explosion. I've been speaking with Jessie Klein. Her new book is You'll Grow Out of It. Thank you for joining me, Jessie. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotron.com slash agony.